0: Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Evan. Glad that you're here today. Um, For the kids, and this is also for the adults, next week we have the prizes that will start for the summer after the sermon. They can come and find me. I don't have any this week, but I do want to let the kids know some of you adults might be interested in this too, that it's possible that I hid a rubber duck that looks like a pink flamingo somewhere in plain sight on this floor, and you can tell me when you found it after the service. Just so you know it's out there. Okay, we are going to be in both Proverbs and James today. So I invite you to find Proverbs 13. We'll get there in a moment, but that's the place we're going to start. And then we're going to go to James 3 after that. I got a couple other verses for you as we begin, though. This is the last sermon in our series on the Proverbs. We've been going through that in in the month of May. Many of you have been been reading along, whether on your version or at home by yourself. And it's been really fun to see what resonates with people and to hear uh, how, even in the children's sermon right now, Um, one that I picked and one that I, I didn't pick at all from Proverbs 15, that's great. Anybody that's coming up here that was talking about what we're talking about today probably wouldn't pick the same Proverbs I chose, right? It's really a fun book, and there's so much we can do with it. And as I've told many people when we've talked about it, Proverbs basically preaches itself. I mean, I've more had to cut than add through this whole series. But what we started with and what we're ending with is the the premise of the whole series, and I think you find this throughout the book of Proverbs, is that the wise find reward and the foolish find failure. The wise find reward and the foolish find failure. The challenge with that is that sometimes our daily struggle, if we're trying to be wise, is that it seems like the fools get ahead sometimes, doesn't it? There are times when it seems like people who make really foolish decisions, even people who make really evil decisions, seem to get ahead in this world, and that is frustrating. Jesus, in Matthew 5, starting at verse 44, he gives these remarkably good and remarkably challenging words when he says, "...but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven." He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I can pray for people who don't like me relatively easily, but that second half is harder, isn't it? That when it seems like people are doing wrong, that it seems like they can get ahead still. It's hard. I, I was thinking about this this week when I was, uh, I was considering this, if we're trying to find the path of wisdom— uh, when I was a college student in Chicago uh, many years ago, I worked for a catering company, and I got to do a lot of interesting uh, uh, locations and, and events. And I remember serving uh, serving hors d'oeuvres at a zoo fundraiser at one of the malls in the suburbs. But before we had to bring out the hors d'oeuvres, we had to actually prepare some of them. And so we painstakingly took these kettle chips out of the bag and put this some kind of pate on it. And it took forever to do each chip. And you know that as you're going to take this out, people are in mid-conversation, they're going to eat it without a thought. It's going to be gone in a second. And it took you many seconds to make each one. And, And a whole tray is going to take you a long time. And I got to tell you, my motivation for each one of those chips went down with each chip. Like I was like, this is just really a miserable task. And sometimes we can be demotivated if we're following the path of wisdom in the same way, and yet we see people who are foolish succeeding. We can feel like, is this even worth it to follow this path? But we need to have a longer-term perspective if we're going to walk the path of wisdom. We actually do need to have an eternal perspective. That doesn't discount now, that just looks farther than now is what I mean by that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And the long and short of it is, though fools may get rich in this life, you can't take it with you. You and I were designed for relationship with the living God not a full bank account and that makes all the difference in the path of wisdom If you can remember that and follow that path it is by grace you have been saved and that's for the relationship with the living God who's trying to redeem us through Jesus Christ that's the path of wisdom and so today I want to talk as we've kind of rounded out this series I want to talk about one logical fruit of wisdom which is our words how we utilize our words. We can have other logical fruits of wisdom, money, and how we use our bodies, all those kinds of things Proverbs talks about, but words pop up an awful lot if you've read Proverbs. And then we can find a New Testament connection because James picks up the same theme and I think adds to our understanding. If we look at Proverbs 13 then, starting at verse 3, and then we'll skip a few to verse 14. Proverbs 13, 3, those who guard their lips Preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Skipping to verse 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Good judgment wins favor, but the way of the unfaithful leads to their destruction. All who are prudent act with knowledge, but fools expose their folly. That's what's going to happen with our words. Our folly is going to be exposed or our wisdom. And so we can say, I think with confidence, that the wise have better outcomes than the foolish. Maybe it looks like in the short term the foolish have better outcomes, but if we have that eternal perspective, the wise have the better outcome than the foolish. Proverbs 25, 15 says, Through patience a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone which is an interesting passage because it, it, seems, it seems a little challenging. How can a gentle tongue break a bone? If you go on to verse 18 in that same chapter, it says, like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. That is to say, even though we used to say as kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Frankly, even though they don't do violence, they hurt, Right? I mean, all of us can probably think of times, and I'm not not asking you to deeply think about this, but all of us can think of times when people have hurt us with their words or we've hurt others with their words. It happens. It's wounding. It's painful. I'm not, nor do I, I I don't think Proverbs is saying this, nor do I say this. I'm not saying speech is violence. Those aren't the same things, right? Violence is a physical thing. Speech can lead to that, certainly. But what I am saying is words can hurt and words can be toxic. They can destroy relationships and they can destroy communities. They can also build them up. They have remarkable power. And so I want to make a New Testament connection. We'll still bring in some Proverbs with James and go to James 3. Because the idea of the wise and the foolish is not lost in the Old Testament and then not picked up. Jesus picks it up. The wise man builds his house upon a rock. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand. Right? He brings it up in other ways more subtly in his ministry. James (laughs) brings it up rather clearly here too. And he brings up the tongue and then connects it to wisdom. If we read James 3, 9, and 10, James says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. I've had this conversation many times about uh, uh, my job that as a pastor, sometimes uh, the question comes up, when are you on the clock, when are you off the clock? It's an impossible question to answer because what I tell people is the moment I walk out of the door of my house, I'm Pastor Evan because whatever I do is reflective on my call and this call. It doesn't matter where I am. My neighbors know that I'm a pastor. People at the store, even if they don't know directly, inevitably if I get in conversation that probably will come out at some point it almost always does my conduct matters right I'm, I'm I'm always on the clock in that sense even though I don't feel the weight of that necessarily I'm used to it at this point but you want your conduct and your character to match right they should that's what I want so that's why it doesn't become a great challenge if that's the case when scripture talks about the tongue you see this is actually revealing of our conduct and shows our character quite often when we talk about the tongue. There are many times when scripture uses tongue, lips, mouth as tongue, lips, and mouth, but often it uses them to mean words. It's not complicated to figure that out. That's what is being said here. I think the more important question behind all of this is what's the purpose of the tongue? What's the purpose? What did God intend for us to do with our mouths and those words that come out of them? And I would suggest that, of course, depends on your worldview, right? We live in a a culture that sometimes will proclaim that I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else or affect even, maybe somebody else say more vaguely. Okay, I can work with most of that to some degree. We also live in a culture that sometimes will live that way, but then also bring in the nuance of I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt someone or affect someone else, unless of course it makes me feel good to do it. And usually the way that plays out is, and even though those are kind of competing thoughts, it plays out in um, the way that people will uh, do things online, right, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. But if I don't have to see the face of the person, you know, what do I, what do I know, what do I care? And we live in a culture that very much is into speaker truth, truth to power, you do you, all those kinds of things kind of combining together. And there's some of that that's good and some of that 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 then is abused very easily. Proverbs 18, 20, and 21 says, From the fruit of their mouth a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. If we continue on with James and consider the power of the tongue, as we see here, he talks about wisdom from above. And I want to apply that to how we utilize our words. So James, if we continue on in verses 13 through 18 of chapter 3, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it with their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Have you ever considered that about selfishness, that it could go that far? 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But, he says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I don't want to pick out every word in that list of wisdom. I want to pick out just a couple and talk about what that looks like when it comes to how we, the fruit of wisdom, how we communicate with our words to one another. And of course, there's nonverbal communication that comes with that too, that we're going to get in, in as well. James talks first, though, about that wisdom from above is pure. It's pure. When he talks about that, that is morally upright, but there's this this element in there of a sense of innocence about it, a lightheartedness about the the wisdom itself, and then, if we're going to use that as our words, about how we communicate that which is true and wise. What I would say, if I were going to communicate this in a slightly different way or put it in a sentence, I would say, you shouldn't need to... Uh, work to find out the basic meaning of someone's words is what pure speech looks like and pure words. And I want to qualify that. Jesus speaks in parables. Those take a little work, right? We're reading in the book of Proverbs poetry. It takes a little bit of work, but it's not like you can't begin to unpack it, right? Those are intended to make you think with those words. What I mean and what I think pure, if we talk about pure wisdom in the way we talk and and people not having to work to figure out your words is you shouldn't play games with your words so you say one thing and mean another to try and toy with someone when i was a chaplain it was pointed out uh this is the first place i really kind of picked this up the most strong is that often when people ask you a question especially when you're in ministry but not exclusively there's often a question behind the question so what they ask you is not really what they're asking you that's often the case in a lot of uh, moments Sometimes people don't know what they're trying to ask and they're trying to get to it. Sometimes they're not sure they want to lead with that information. They're trying to, you know, uh, stair-step you there. Sometimes people do it, though, uh, because they just don't want you to know what they're actually trying to say or think. And if we're not careful in how we communicate and trying to communicate as plainly as possible as a general rule, then we can be duplicitous or double-tongued if we're not careful. We say one thing to this crowd, but we don't really mean it. We say another thing to this crowd, and we actually mean it over here. We're not being honest with our words. Right? And it goes for actions too. Uh, people will do this with their actions sometimes. Um, they, you know, church life, sometimes people will change their giving patterns, you know, and think that the pastor will figure it out. I have no access to that. Don't have any idea. Uh, or sometimes, just in general, as humans on the workplace or around uh, school or wherever, um, as adults, sometimes we'll give subtle hints through third parties, as if we're high schoolers passing notes in class, right? We'll have somebody else do our information sending for us, such and so wants to break up with you, bye, right? We do that still as adults sometimes. That's not pure. And what sits behind that kind of language, the problem behind that, if we're not straightforward as a general rule to try and be understood by the people with our speech, is trust. Can people trust my words or not when I communicate? Proverbs 12, 9, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. It's going to be satisfying, but only for that long, if we're not trustworthy and truthful in our speech to one another. And the problem is, if we we lose trust, if that's lost or lacking within a relationship, it's poison. And it just courses through the relationship and continues to destroy it slowly. And it does it to a people, too, to a community, when we can't trust and we can't even use plain words to communicate what we actually mean. No, the wise speak truthfully and they can be trusted. Second thing that I wanted to pick out of what James says here. I'll put together two that aren't actually sitting right next to each other in his list. But that's the idea of being impartial and considerate. That's what wisdom is. And if we're going to talk about that in how we communicate in our language, what that means, the impartial means to discern, to weigh out one thing from the other. Ideally, that which is right and wrong or better and worse, that kind of thing. And then considerate is to actually be thoughtful about how that information is communicated to another person you're thinking of the other person in your communication that's what wisdom looks like you're thinking of others not just yourself humility is thrown in there too as an added bonus i love this passage from proverbs 17 proverbs 17:28 17, says even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues The way we speak truth matters. We've said that. We want to be plain in our speech, but we can abuse the truth, right? The ways that truth gets abused, when people hold grudges, for instance, I forgive you, but they didn't really, and they hold that grudge. That's misusing the truth because we know what happened, and they're holding it against you instead of letting it go. Telling more than is ours to share, gossip, that's misusing the truth. Of course, blackmail, that's misusing the truth. That's just a, a big, broad example. Another way we, we misuse the truth, and this goes back to what we were saying at the, the beginning, we brought in social media, is when we lack brain filters, we sometimes misuse the truth. Let's just be clear. There are thoughts that should stay in each of our heads, right? I think we all know this, but the more and more, and I, I'll be careful, I'm not a big social media person. I don't really care about it that much, Um, and find it less useful than most people. I think it tells us that there's an audience for every thought in our head, and there isn't. There is not an audience for every thought that's in our heads. There just isn't. Not every thought needs to get out there and be spoken or typed. Not every ounce of our life needs to be shared with the world, and that's okay. And finally, I would point out the way we speak, one way that I think we get ahead of ourselves now in our culture, and it does come into the church as well, is when we're purely, and I'm going to say emotionally driven in our speech, but actually we're feeling driven is the better way to put it, right? Lots of times when you get more feeling driven and emotion driven, it's considered more real and authentic in our culture right now, considered more truthful if we're more impassioned when we say it. And we may even get a pass on saying some pretty remarkably silly things or mean things because we're feeling-oriented and emotional about it. And that's a misuse of the truth, if that's all we're doing. Because we're still ultimately responsible before the living God for how we conduct ourselves, whether emotionally driven or not. It's important not just that we speak the truth in a pure sense, but that we're careful in how we speak it and consider it to those. I will point out, just as an aside, we can be emotionally driven. We also can't be completely dispassionate in how we present information as well. Emotions are a God-given thing, and right now we're all using them. So we are always going to use them in some way. We're never without them. But a loss of self-control is not virtuous. Why does it matter how we speak? James points this out. Why does it matter how we use our tongue? He points it out in verse 9. He says, when we we can praise our Lord, but he says we can also curse human beings who have been made in the image of God. We're made in God's likeness. David, when he uh commits his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah is killed and the innocent child is uh dies in all of that his prayer is not I have sinned against all of them specifically against you and you alone have I sinned he says against God have I sinned yeah he sinned against all of them but ultimately when we insult someone made in the image of God we insult the maker when we sin against somebody created in the image of God redeemed or not we insult the maker I can tell you how this works out in my own life. It's just a simple example of using the truth. I don't ever call people names ever. And, and I, you know, I wouldn't call you with names anyways. But, but often people do this when they're watching the news and some political figure does this as a simple thing. And then under their breath, somebody mutters, moron, idiot. I don't do that. Do you know why? Because they're made in the image of God. I don't get to do that. I can say somebody is acting like a moron, Perhaps. You say, well, that's splitting hairs. Is it, though? I'm not calling them that. I'm not calling them that. I will not call them that. They're made in the image of God. And the thing about it is, you see, the sin, if, we, if we're willing to do that, the sin doesn't just stop at us desecrating somebody else made in the image of God with our words. Guess what? If it's a sin, how else does it desecrate the image of God? I'm doing it, too, and I'm sinning desecrating the image of God. I'm vandalizing the image of God. You see, the wise use truth well. They know their audience, they know how to communicate, and they're going to be smart about it. The third thing I want to pick out of this is the idea of sincere speech, that is, it's simplicity of words, but it's a little more than that. We could simply say that your character dictates what your tongue does. We can try and double-speak and all that, but ultimately, I think you're going to reveal yourself at some point through your language to someone. Your your character is going to be revealed through your tongue and through your words. I was thinking about this this week, about the character piece, Joseph in the book of Genesis. Um, At the beginning of his story, if you read that, it's kind of the last chunk of Genesis that you read his whole story he's not a real gem in the beginning of his story, right? He, he kind of gloats and he boasts about his dreams, and his brothers are definitely not gems, right? They're even worse than he is. It all goes just wrong. But by the time he ends up in Egypt, you're actually, the way the story is told, and he's, he's accused by Potiphar's wife of, of basically trying to take advantage of her, You don't get the impression by that point that that Joseph is living the way he was. You kind of get the impression that he wouldn't have done this. That's how it's presented. That's how I take it. That this is not something he would have done. This is out of his character. And so it didn't fit the profile. And that's, that's an important thing. You know, if somebody steals $5 from the cash register, somebody else says that's not in their character, they wouldn't have done that. That's an important thing to have, to have a character that would not do wrong and people say, well, that that wouldn't happen. They couldn't have stolen $5 from the cash register. They wouldn't do that. I was thinking as well about when uh, all the news came out about Ravi Zacharias over the last couple of years after he passed away, somebody who looked pretty good for an awful long time, the apologist Ravi Zacharias, who influenced me and many others like me in the evangelical world, Unfortunately those closer and closer to him over those last few years saw the signs of a character that was fractured. And so when the news came out that he'd been taking advantage of women around the world at massage parlors, it wasn't a surprise to them unfortunately because his character didn't show that anymore. I want a character that does right. And if even was accused of doing wrong, people would say that's not my character. That's wisdom. That's walking the path of wisdom, to have that kind of a character. That's what we want to develop. When it comes to this sincerity piece, as I said, it's simplicity. And it's going to play out both uh, the opposite of it, actually, is hypocrisy. If we're not sincere in wisdom, if if we're not simple in that way, then we're going to have hypocrisy of action. Somebody who is insincere in that way is nice at church and nice at work and nice at the store and nice at school but a jerk at home right that's not sincere that's hypocrisy of action hypocrisy of the tongue then goes with it somebody who has hypocrisy of the tongue we've touched on many of these so we won't get into it but it's sort of like the southern oh bless her heart kind of attitude right where we kind of pass off behavior of people we really don't want to be around and don't think highly of. Hypocrisy of the tongue is the tongue that will gossip, spread rumors, and slander others. But often, and this is how it looks in smaller groups and organizations, churches, businesses, it often looks passive-aggressive, by the way, when it works. So it can be nice to your face, but manipulative behind the scenes. That's what it looks like. That's hypocrisy of action and the tongue. Proverbs 18.8 says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. You are what you eat, is what that means. To round this all out, we've been talking about wisdom and following the path of wisdom and being a fool. Get wisdom and sound like it is the long and short of it, right? From the inside out digest wisdom eat it follow the path sound like you're wise too not just so you sound wise but so it reveals that you are and you're not doing it for your own glory but for god's when you do that but a distinguishing feature of the wise we have said from the very beginning is they're teachable and the way that this plays out is that the wise recognize when they're being foolish that's teachability the wise recognize they might make mistakes they surely will we're not perfect yet The wise recognize when they're foolish, when they're acting foolish, and they course correct. And the wise don't care about the source of criticism that comes their way to help them course correct. They care about being right before the living God. That's what they care about most, and that's wisdom. I came across this Quote from Evigrius Ponticus on prayer. He lived in the late 300s, or this is about when he wrote it. He says, Do not pray for the fulfillment of your wishes, for they may not accord with the will of God. But pray as you have been taught, saying, Thy will be done in me. Always entreat him in this way, that his will be done. For he desires what is good and profitable for you, Whereas you do not always ask for this. I'll read that again. He desires what is good and profitable for you, whereas you do not always ask for this. Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Do you want to be wise? Fear the Lord, follow Christ. That's wisdom, that is the path of wisdom. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. That's the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord and following Christ down that path of wisdom. Let's pray.